Chapter Thirty Three of the Snowburner by Henry Oyen. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. Chapter Thirty Three, Shanty Moyer. Reivers' tumultuous scheme of life often had led him into situations where his life had hung on his ability to play artistically the part he had assumed. But never had his self-control been put to such a test as now, when he faced Shanty Moyer. Had he not prepared himself for a shock, his surprise must surely have betrayed him, for even the snowburner could not look upon Shanty Moyer without amazement. To Reivers, the first impression that came was that he was looking at something as raw and primitive as the sources of life itself. Shanty Moyer had little or nothing in common with the other men in the room. He was even shaped differently. He belonged, so it seemed to Reivers, to the age of the saber-toothed tiger, the long-haired mammoth, and a diet of roots and raw flesh. There was about him the suggestion of man just risen to the dignity of an upright position. His body was enormous, longer, wider, denser than a man's body should be, the legs beneath it short and bowed. There was no neck that could be seen. His arms seemed to begin close up to the ears and ran downward in curves like giant calipers, the hands even with the knees. The head fitted the body, squat and enormous, the forehead running abruptly back from the brows, and the face so flat and bony that the features seemed merely to dent it. The brow bones came down and half hid the small eyes. The nose was small, but a pair of great nostrils ran back in the skull. The mouth was huge, yet it seemed small, and there was more of the head below it than above. Iron Hair was well nicknamed. His hair was probably three inches long, and it stood out straight from his head, black, wiry, menacing. Reivers, with his foolish grin growing larger on his face, appraised Moyer with considerable admiration. Here was the real thing, the pure, unadulterated man-animal, unweakened, untouched by effeminizing civilization. This man knew no more law or conscience than the ancient cave-tiger, whose only dictates sprang from appetite. Reivers had rejected morals because it pleased him to run contrary to all the rest of the world. This man never knew that right or wrong existed. What his appetites told him to take he took as a matter of course, and it was written in his face that his appetites were as abnormally powerful as was he. Reivers had been a leader of men because his mind was stronger than the minds of the men with whom he had dealt. This man was a leader because of the blind, unintelligent force that was in him. And inwardly the fighting man and Reivers glowed at the prospects of the titanic clash that would come between them. Shanty Moyer, as he looked from under his bony brows, saw exactly what Reivers wished him to see, a drunken, broken squaw man, so weak that he could not possibly be the slightest source of trouble. Being primitive of mind, he listed Reivers at once as helpless. 
Having done this, nothing could alter his opinion, and Reivers had gained the vantage that he sought. Moyer threw back his head and laughed, softly and behind set teeth, when his quick inspection of Reivers was ended. "'So that's the waster who has got the squaws that has the camp upset,' he said languidly. "'Hey, sonnies, are no men among ye that have not got woman-stealing by this? The waster does not look hard to take a young woman from.' Reivers broke into an apologetic snigger. "'Don't you try to steal my two kids, mister,' he whined. "'You'd be mighty sorry for your bargain if you did.' "'How so, old son?' demanded Moyer, with a tolerant laugh. "'Them kids, if you was to steal them without my permission, one or both of them, they'd make you wish you'd never seen them, lest I was along,' chuckled Reivers. "'Speak it up, old son,' said Moyer sharply. "'What's behind thy fool's words?' "'Them kids, they'd die if they was took away from me.' replied Reivers, seriously. "'And they'd take the man who stole them to the happy hunting ground along with them. He winked prodigiously. "'Lots of funny things in this old world, mister. You wouldn't think to look at me that those two kids wouldn't want to live if I wasn't with them, but that's the fact. I wasn't always what I'm now, mister. Once—well, I was different once— and them kids will just naturally manage to poison the first man who touches em, unless I give the word. The men of Fifty Mile looked at one another, and Black Pete shuddered. "'The old moocher sure has got him trained, Iron Hair,' said Raftery. "'He's locoed, but those squaws look up to him like a little tin god, and that's no lie.' "'Poison?' repeated Moyer doubtingly. "'Art a medicine man, old son?' Reivers shook his head loosely. "'Not me, mister, not me,' he chuckled. "'It's something Indian that I don't savvy. But there's a couple graves way up where we came from, and they hold what's left of a couple of bad men who raided my camp and stole my kids. I don't know how it happened, mister. The kids come back to me the same night, and the two bad men were stiff and black, as black as your hair, mister, after the first kiss. "'The kiss of death,' chimed in Black Pete, crossing himself. "'I have heard of it. Sacre, I am the lucky dog, moi.' Shanty Moyer nodded. He, too, had heard of the method by which Indian women of the North, on rare occasions, revenge themselves upon the brutal white men who steal them from their people. Having often indulged in that thrilling sport himself, Moyer was well versed in the obstacles and dangers to be met in its pursuit. Being crafty, with the craft of the lynx that eschews the poisoned deer carcass, he had thus far managed to select his victims from the breed of squaws that do not seriously object to playing a Sabine part and he had no intention of decreasing his caution now, although what men had spoken of Neopa had fired his blood. "'Ho, ho! I see how it is, old son,' he said with a grin of appreciation. "'Dost manage well for a waster. 
he suddenly drew his hand from his Mackinaw pocket and held it out, opened, toward Reivers. Two jagged nuggets of dull gold the size of big buckshot jiggled on his palm, and Moyer laughed uproariously at Reivers at the sight of them, bent forward, rubbing his hands together, apparently frantic with avarice. "'Hey, hey!' drawled Moyer, closing his fist as Reivers' fingers reached for the gold. "'I thought so. "'Tis tub-gold they want, eh, old sonny? "'Well, do thee bring me the cattle to look at, and we'll try to bargain.' "'Come up to my camp,' chattered Reivers, eyeing the fist that contained the nuggets. He was anxious to get out of the bar. He had no fear that the primitive Moyer would be able to see any flaw in his acting, but Black Pete and Jack Raftery were less primitive, and he knew that they had not quite accepted him for the weakling that he pretended to be. "'Come and visit me. Buy a bottle of hooch, and we go up to my camp.' Moyer tossed one of the nuggets across the bar to Raftery. "'Is it good enough for a round, lad?' he laughed. Raftery cunningly hefted the nugget and set out the bottles. "'Good for two, he replied. Moyer tossed over the second nugget. "'Then that's good for four, said he. "'Do you boys drink it up while I'm away to the camp of old Sonny here? "'A bottle, Raftery. "'Now, Sonny, do thee lead on, and if I'm not satisfied, I'll wring thy neck to let thee know my displeasure. End of chapter 33 Recording by Roger Moline